Good day, listeners. This is your host, Michael Martins, with the Martins Critical Review, broadcasting this morning from a bluebird wintry day in south-central British Columbia. In today's program, we're departing from the usual format of the show. Rather than me being your host and interviewer, I'm going to be interviewed by our fellow freedom fighter and colleague, Vincent Gersis. In this episode, I'm going to provide listeners with my thoughts and insights regarding our present world situation and opine as to how many how may people may respond to ensure their ongoing freedom and quality of life. Vincent, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for your time today, and I'll hand the controls over to you from here. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me on your show to have you on your show. And... <laughs> Very good. So I think we have quite a bit to talk about. There's no question. And uh, you certainly have quite a bit of knowledge from all the people that you've interviewed. So first off, I'm going to start right out of the bat with some questions here. You know, since my visit out west some 10 weeks ago now, can you summarize what you've witnessed in Canada during that time span? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess when uh, when you got out here, um, we were more optimistic in terms of um, a shift towards something positive. And it, it looked like there was a bit of momentum towards that direction. And uh, I think, you know, uh, all of all of those of us who are in this uh, freedom fighting movement uh, are, are clinging to any sort of optimism and, and brightness that we can find. And, um, you know, it seems that we're kind of making two steps forward and one step back. And, um, you know, I'm a little, a little disappointed where we've wound up. Uh, and it just doesn't seem like what we're doing is uh, gaining any traction for some reason. You know, we, we have these glimmers of hope and then it falls apart. And, you know, I guess an example of that is uh, the motion that you were trying to put forward with uh, Rocco and the uh, police service members across the country where, you know, they opted out of the, the legal challenge based on an extension of the mandate, which, you know, just uh, just like the uh, vaccine passport in BC was supposed to be curtailed around January 19th or 20th, uh, this week they've announced that's probably not going to happen, uh, which to anybody who uh, has a, a reasonable level of cognition knew that was never going to be taken away. I mean, why would the government spend, uh, expend its resources to put a program like that into place and... Uh, only to only to remove it several months later. I mean, that's that's fantasy. Okay, so then overall, do you think there's a glimmer of hope for Canada that our situation is going to improve, or is it simply fading away? Uh, unfortunately, I think it's fading away. Um, I think we we've seen a movement towards compliance, um, and I believe that where where we are at now, people have made their decision. They've either accepted what's happening and are getting on with their lives, um, you know, much like uh, livestock in the farmyard has accepted their lot and they realize that, uh, you know, this is their lot in life. Um, and uh, those of us who are rejecting it, um, unfortunately, I see some of those people crumbling. And I have the example of a couple of the uh, fire service members in this general area. Uh, they had probably initially about a 10% uh, 
resistance, uh, which I think is a, is a ridiculously low number, uh, if those are supposed to be the bravest uh, amongst us, the bravest men and women who are you know in service of their fellow man, um, and and no no disrespect to to the to the police members, uh, but I do think that uh, you know on a on a day to day basis the the fire service are are risking themselves in a greater fashion than uh, handing out speeding tickets on the side of the road, um, and so. If that's where we're at, and now we've shifted from you know that ten percent to five percent to you know single members that are now holding out, um, I think we're seeing that across the board, and we've now uh, provided an example here from this weekend. Uh, one of my listeners, who's become a colleague, uh, very intelligent man, very well read, uh, well educated, uh, and an accomplished man uh, in his life. Uh, he lives in the Lower Mainland, um, and received uh, the the injections earlier in the year because his wife was undergoing cancer treatment and um you know just sort of blindly followed his doctor's recommendations you know we're killing your wife with our chemotherapy products she's immunocompromised so we're going to kill her a little bit more with our vaccine product and subsequently of course as the as the information has come out and, and he's an engineer so he's he's uh numerically orientated and began to realize that this wasn't something that uh, was safe or effective and uh, so this last weekend at a Christmas party, which included the mayor of uh, the, little, the little spot that he's in, there was 10 or 12 people at a, at a Christmas function. Uh, the host mandated that everyone was vaccinated. Um, and the gentleman after my interview with Nick Hudson, uh, where Nick had sort of uh, said perhaps the pathway forward is to, is to plant these seeds of wisdom uh, amongst the compliant and see where they you know, these little pearls of wisdom can spark some light in their minds. And so he began to discuss the VARIS system with these folks. And obviously, as we know, the the, you know, the VARIS system isn't perfect, and certainly in Canada is almost non-existent, uh, but it is indicating some significant harm, certainly more so than any other vaccine in history. And um, amongst these highly educated, accomplished people, none of them had heard what VARIS was. And um, they they concluded collectively that anyone at this point who remains unvaccinated is a moron. And um, then this gentleman's wife proclaimed, you know, if he hadn't been vaccinated, she wouldn't allow him to live in the house with her. And uh, so he kind of concluded that his uh, social experiment was like pissing into the wind and, uh, you know, threw his hands up in despair. And I think that's a, unfortunately, a pretty good representation of what's happening here. Um, the, the browbeating and the continuous propaganda that the government is filling the airwaves with uh, and social media with, uh, you know, including the buses now where strokes have, uh, children have strokes too. Uh, this is a pretty pervasive program. And unfortunately, I, I think it's uh, accomplishing its task. Wow. Well, with all that said, do you think there's a glimmer of hope for Canada that our situation could be improving or do you think it's simply fading away? You just asked me that one, Vincent. We just answered that one. Oh, okay. So my my take on that is uh, beyond that is that in the police community side of things, I see a bit of growth happening. Okay, uh, that's I good see, news. I, well, I see a bit of growth. I mean, we, we went from a year ago, we had one police uh, affiliation, I'll call it a, a police liaison group, which was police on guard that... I was the first member to sign on to that group called Police on Guard back on December 24th. So let's call it a year. And as of this time, we now have 
at least five. We have Mounties for Freedom. In addition to that, we have Police for Freedom. We have a Manitoba um, group that has formed up. I don't recall the name. It just started up. And we now have also Provincial Police for Freedom as well. So I see a number of th this is really growing within the policing community. Uh, so I see some growth happening. But you, you're um, based on your speculation at this time. What would be your major frustrations with the freedom movement in Canada and the population at large? Well, uh, in terms of the freedom movement, um, you know, I think for whatever reason, it has become somewhat fractioned and ego-based. And my first real experience of this was on that call, um, the planning call that we had with Vaccine Choice Canada, which I think is probably two or three months ago. And I think you were, you were in your car at the beach um, and everyone that was on, um, you know, sort of introducing themselves, were all patting themselves on the back. And, and it was, you know, kind of a look what I've done. And, you know, that wasn't the, the, the nature of the meeting was, you know, how can we collectively work on, on coming up with the, either a message or pooling our resources uh, to move things forward? And so there, there, I think there was about 50, 50 or 55 people on that call. And uh, Ted had distributed the email list. And so I, I figured, well, this is a great opportunity. I'll plug these names into my list um, for my uh, distribution list on the show. And I received more unsubscribes from that list than any other uh, component of the list that I've entered into my database. Um, I also contacted, um, there, there was a few people that stood out to me, uh, that were speaking that I thought, you know, maybe those are people that I could collaborate with. Um, so I reached out with emails and said, Hey, you know, we're, we're kind of doing the same thing. You know, what can we do in terms of, of, uh, working together to bring the message forward? I heard back from none of them. So that was a bit of an eye opener. And, um, you know, as we move forward, um, to an event that happened a couple of days ago, uh, uh, at the doctors on tour, uh, speaking engagement in Sorrento, you know, we saw this again where, and I won't, I won't name any specific names, um, but where these personalities are clashing and, you know, perhaps the minutia of the messaging isn't in, um, congruency with either party. So rather than agreeing that we don't have to all have the exact same message, but the underlying message is freedom and liberty, um, and how we get there or, or what our motivations are or the, the means in which we're doing it should be less important than everyone moving forward collectively. And I don't see that. And, and uh, you know, another example of that, uh, and I you know, don't mind throwing him under the bus, uh, Chris Skye, um, you know, speaking with uh, some of the um, global frontline nurses uh, when they were in their Victoria stop this summer, uh, when he came on stage, uh, his handlers went around the the fairgrounds, let's call it, or the, 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 the protest grounds, and, and ensured that nobody else's merchandise was being displayed while he was on stage. I mean, this is ludicrous. I mean, is this, is, are you a rock star or, you know, somebody, I mean, you're, you're, you're kind of nobody, you know, you're a goof that runs around with, with uh, a tank top and, and, a, and a fairly mundane physique screaming at the top of your lungs. And it's pretty clear to me that his motivation is 100% selling merchandise and filling his pockets, regardless of where he began in this thing, you know, it, it's now moved into something else. And, um, uh, I, you know, the, there's, that is not going to make this thing 
move forward in a, in a constructive way. And um, I'm beginning to think that some of these organizations are, in fact, controlled opposition. Um, in, and in particular, what happened that other night in, uh, in Sorrento, um, it just it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And it really makes me wonder, uh, you know, if these some of these groups have been usurped or if they were planted to begin with. And of course, you know, the, the comments about Chris Skye being a, a professional agitator or, or you know, a, a paid shill have definitely been bad, bantied around. So... I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, and I, I know you and I've had sort of similar discussions. Um, and I don't, I've had many, many people around here ask me the question, you know, how can we unify this thing and move it forward? And I'm not sure. I mean, it just seems like uh, we're dealing with too many egos and too many separate mandates uh, uh, to bring a collective force forward. Yeah. You know, even in the past, you and I have had much conversation and we haven't always agreed on everything, but I can say that you have always made a very compelling argument. And I'd say you usually uh, have swayed me over to your your logic, and you certainly do use a, quite a bit of logic. And this um, last statement that you just made is no different. So let's get into it. Uh, further to my last question, Canadians now have a very clear indication from Ottawa what their plans are for the remainder of this government. So let's unpack some of these issues, uh, starting with looking at the young global leader graduate herself, Christian Freeland, and recently announcing plans to continue on with the COVID charade for at least the next six years. Your view on yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, so we saw this, um, I guess it wasn't really a, a, a formal budget statement, but it was, you know, as, as nothing is as it should be with this government, um, you know, I believe they've pledged 30 billion over the next six years in COVID measures, which, um, you know, if, if anyone is paying attention, uh, that has to raise an alarm or suspicion. You know, how can they predict, how do they know that this is going to be with us for the next six years? Um, and, and in fact, you know, this, this may be a, a critical error in their strategy by announcing that, you know, this is a playbook. Um, you know, maybe, you know, again, Blindly, optimistically, maybe people are paying attention to this. Um, unfortunately, I think the the folks who understand what's going on or have a suspicion to what's going on, um, I think number certainly less than 5%, and 5% I think is very optimistic. I think we're less than 1%. And so, you know, the rest of the people, when they hear that, I think they immediately think, well, that's that's fantastic. You know, the government is protecting us. They're keeping us away from this scary boogeyman. Uh, whereas in reality, you know, they've just pledged 30 billion of your dollars because, you know, the government doesn't have any money. The government doesn't make money. The government is a parasitic organization that siphons off the taxpayers uh, and the economy of the country. And, um, you know, what on earth are they going to spend 30 billion dollars on? You know, particularly now that we have the, uh, the the modern first world country, Japan, which upon finding contaminants within their Moderna vaccines, you know, essentially stopped that program other than the, the most vulnerable, which again is a bit of an oxymoron to me, and looked at the example of India, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and their success with ivermectin and have switched to an early um, outpatient treatment regime. Uh, you know, much like what uh, the, the esteemed Peter McCullough, Dr. Peter McCullough has done and, and uh, researched. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, just like in India, the 
caseload and the hospitalization load has has virtually plummeted to zero in Japan. Uh, I believe Indonesia has done the same thing. And uh, so, you know, from a from a real a realism perspective, uh, you know, if we actually had real medical professionals uh, at the helm of this thing, uh, you know, I'm not sure what it would cost to ensure that every single Canadian had a reasonable supply of ivermectin. You know, let's let's say that's 100 tablets or 50 tablets. Um, the most vulnerable should be taking a prophylactic dose. Um, and then, you know, healthy folks like you and I, we've got a, a bottle sitting there in case we need it on an acute basis. And this problem's over. And so, you know, what does that cost? You know, let, let's say even if a, a, a tablet is a dollar a piece and, uh, you know, we need 35 or 36 million of those times 100. Well, you know, plus some plus some delivery costs, et cetera. You know, maybe we're talking 500 million on, on the outside. And that puts this thing dead in the tracks, you know, other than some very unhealthy people. And, uh, you know, as Dr. Paul Alexander has uh, commented, um, you know, never once during this pandemic have we heard health officials encouraging uh, those with a high BMI or obese to uh, maybe walk around the block a couple times a day and, and shed 20 pounds. You know, if, if, if obesity is the singular largest comorbidity for poor outcomes, you know, mortality or hospitalization with COVID, there's the messaging, you know, and then secondarily to that would be the administration of vitamin D, where we know that, you know, eight out of 10 bad outcomes are also deficient in vitamin D. And yet now in Canada, the Health Canada has moved to ban 5,000 IU tablets of vitamin D because, of course, we don't want anybody taking that dangerous substance and uh, being being healthy. So, you know, it's, it is, it's, it's a charade and it's madness. And this statement alone uh, proves that. And of course, within this budget, we've also seen, you know, they're talking about a billion and a half for COVID-19 testing. Uh, you know, anybody who's been paying attention to this thing over the last uh, 20 months knows that the PCR test is not a test. It's a DNA multiplication tool. Um, and anything over 27 cycle rate, 25 to 27 cycle rates, it's a meaningless test. Um, you know, I think in Canada, we're certainly over 35 still. Um, so, that, you know, this is a, a means in which to continue the pandemic of, of fear uh, through the caseload. Um, and then there's, uh, I believe, another seven and change billion for booster shots. Um, and, and the federal government has pledged 300 million uh, towards provinces to implement their social credit vaccine pass. So, you know, when you look at this in totality, um, this is a scary, this is a scary measure. Um, which will be perpetuated for at least as long as this present administration uh, maintains uh, control. And, uh, you know, moving back slightly to the election, and, you know, we, we've discussed it before, but it's, you know, in, in this, this year in review program, it's worth reiterating that 60% of Canadians believe in communism. And we are now in a dangerous situation where, um, you know, people who have voted Liberal, NDP, or Bloc uh, are not free enterprise people. They believe that the government uh, should be in your business, um, you know, protecting you, ensuring your safety, coming up with ridiculous mandates. And, uh, you know, I think those people have either been captured uh, or, or brainwashed or in their, they're in a mass uh, trance or hypnosis, uh, which has been predicated by the fear. Uh, and let's face it, the, you know, the social programming 
that has gone on in this country for the last 30 years. And um, I think one of our first interviews, we discussed uh, the prophetic words of Yuri Besmanov and uh, his, you know, that 1983 interview, everything has come to roost. Um, and, you know, speaking with Dr. Lorraine Day uh, a couple months ago, uh, she laughed when I said, you know, are, are we, where are we in Besmanov's um, process? And she laughed. She said, we're, we're done. You know, the, the only, we're, we're nine tenths of the way towards the Communist Manifesto being realized. And the last one uh, to be dropped off is personal property rights, uh, you know, which AOC and the rest of her rabid lunatics are moving to uh, remove from people. And, uh, you know, then, of course, um, the uh, Klaus Schwab's ridiculous statement of you'll own nothing and be happy, um, you know, the Western world's leaders are all young global leader graduates who are obeying Daddy Schwab and uh, conducting his orders here. So, you know, and is this conspiracy? I mean, are, are we lunatics, Vincent? I mean, are we just, uh, you know, and again, I, you know, the, the, the reason that I became interested in, in your position in this whole thing was your professional investigative skills, you know, turned from police work into analyzing this situation. And when you look at it from, you know, whether it would be a criminal investigation or however that investigation goes, there are facts and they're becoming overwhelmingly obvious. And I don't think it's very difficult to put these pieces together and uh, surmise what's going on. Well, yeah, exactly. You've touched on all the points that I would be looking at as well. The earlier point you made about vitamin D, interesting how Roman Baber had brought that up in provincial parliament in Ontario and was uh, scoffed and laughed at as being a conspiracy theorist that vitamin D had nothing to do with this whatsoever. And of course, now vitamin D, a very safe product, is being pulled off the shelves. And then the issue you bring up with Yuri Besmanov, exactly, that is something that cannot be ignored. And we are already beyond the demoralization phase and into the destabilization phase or the end, the end game of that entire process. Yeah. So uh, touching, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, yeah, the, the, and on Besmanov, I mean, I've been waiting for this crisis point, um, which he describes as a shorter period of time. And, you know, maybe that crisis point actually occurred in March 20 when the governments around the world uh, elected to lock down their population. And, you know, and lockdown is a prison term. Lockdown isn't a means, you know, that isn't a, a, a terminology which is used towards free citizens that are going about their lawful legal business and conducting their lives. You know, lockdown is, is, is when the prisoners are bad, something's happened in the prison to ensure the safety and security of the entirety of that facility. You know, the inmates are locked down. And so maybe that was the crisis point uh, that we just didn't recognize. Um, and now we are in this destabilization phase and with that destabilization phase, we now have people arguing for their own imprisonment. And um, this is a day, you know, so when people ask me, um, you know, how do we, you know, what is, what is the prognosis of moving forward? And, um, you know, my answer to that, it's, it's pretty bleak because we have a group of captured individuals. And what is that re-education process going to be? 
uh, or involve or how long is it going to take to unravel the situation? And, you know, again, if we listen to what Besmanov has to say, that's a generational process. Um, and certainly when I look at, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll ask you what you see at, at, at your freedom rallies and, and your events out in your neck of the woods. Uh, but around here, you know, it's kind of a bunch of gray and white heads uh, standing in the crowd. Um, there's no sub 30 folks that I can recognize. And so you would imagine like, just like in the Vietnam era, uh, where we had the, you know, the students, the university students led those protests because they wanted to change the world uh, for the better that they were going to live in. They didn't want to live in that military industrial complex. Uh, and they made their voices heard. So now we have this, you know, millennial generation that um, I firmly believe has been captured by, you know, their indoctrination slash education system. And they just blindly obey, um, you know, and somehow the virtue signaling has been instilled into this younger group as something which um, is more important than um, freedom of expression and um, your your own um, personal identity, you know, be, has become this collectiveness, um, which again is a communist trait. You know, when we look at uh, North Korea um, and the example of uh, Yeonmi Park, uh, when she defected and came to America, and um, one of her friends or, or one of her associates was taking her out shopping and they, you know, they went to the mall and there's a, you know, went to whatever store and there's a, a wall, you know, 50, 50, hundred feet of, of choices of jeans. And, and she's like, you know, I don't know what to do here. I, I, there's, there's one pair of pants for women. There's one pair of pants for men. There's no choice. And so it, it seems like the, this younger population has been stuffed into this collectivist uh, sort of hive mentality, which um, we generally associate with uh, sort of an Asian mentality. Yeah, definitely. Well, it, it appears that uh, that is true. That is completely true. Even here in Ontario, I can say that the there are some very, very smart and alert uh, and brilliant readers uh, in the younger generation that understand all these principles that we're speaking about. But for the most part, the majority of the population is, as you say, and this has been a long game. There's no question, you know, P Project Mockingbird came into effect 40, 50 years ago. It was a significant time ago. And the amount of disinformation, misinformation, and uh, um, psychological uh, deployment uh, against the, the people, it, it's been it's been a long game coming, and you really can't fight a long game with a very short game. Uh, getting back to what you were talking about, the budget on the budget issues, um, are there any other significant line items that really concern you about that budget budget announcement? Um, I mean, I don't know so much on on the budget itself, but I think when we look at the totality the totality of where the federal government's debt lies. Um, that is uh, that is significant and, it, and it, it is worrisome to anyone that's paying attention. Um, you know, the the total spending, I believe, thus far for COVID measures has been something in the neighborhood of three hundred and forty billion, um, which is an astronomical number for a country with thirty five million uh, people in it. I mean, when you when you do the math on that, it becomes ridiculous. Uh, and I believe in that in that total. Um, there is something in the neighborhood uh, of a hundred billion, which way which went into what they're calling the emergency wage subsidy, 
Um, and uh, there's there's another 71 billion in um, Canadian emergency response, uh, 57 billion in Canadian recovery, uh, 20 billion in safe restart agreement. I mean, I don't know what any of these things mean. Uh, there's been 14 billion spent on vaccines. Um, you know, it's just, I, and I don't know that any of this needed to be to be spent. Uh, there's also uh, about five and a half billion, which has been spent on um, PPE, which you know brings us to another portion of this discussion, which is you know uh, which we kind of touched on there before we got back to the budget. There are so many um, snouts in the trough now uh, for this you know the, the this free money that the government is pouring out. I mean, imagine. The, the, that three, that uh, that uh, what do we say there? Five, five and a half billion in um, PPE. I mean, there's a margin in those. So you know, is the government procuring that at what at what markup? Um, you know, is that who are awarded those contracts? Are all those liberal sycophants and NDP sycophants? I mean, how is how has that wealth been distributed? And uh, you know, if you and I were in the uh, PPE business. Uh, on a much smaller scale before that, uh, and now our profits have gone up tenfold or a hundredfold. You know, how do we? How how does the society say, okay, enough is enough, and we you know we pack that up? It's it's uh, it's a little shocking. And then of course the the federal debt now stands uh, at one almost one and a half trillion, um, which is about one hundred and twenty percent of our GDP, and with the government's insistence on crushing. Uh, the fossil fuel industry in Alberta. Um, I'm not really sure what this country does anymore in terms of um, revenue generation. Uh, you know, BC's forests are are in shambles. <clears throat> the only reason anyone's made any money in that business uh, was this runaway pricing on uh, lumber. Um, in 18 and 19, we saw probably a dozen or so sawmills shut down across the province because they were simply not viable. Um, so that those who survived obviously have have done very well, uh, but the situation on the ground here is is dire. Uh, you know we have one less than one percent of our original forests still intact. Um, <clears throat> you know people are quick to blame climate change uh, for the number of forest fires that we see, uh, which is utter nonsense. The issue of these forest fires is a complete manipulation of the land base, where we now have large areas which are creating. There, there, there are microclimates on the landscape, but you know we're talking about hundreds, if not thousands, of hectares of uh, continuous clear cut or young forest stands, which alters the humidity of the area. It's much, much drier, and um, this is what is causing our runaway fires. And in the same way that the flooding in BC, one moment, the recent flooding in BC. Is uh, you know the, uh, uh, the government has invented this term an atmospheric river. Well, that that's meaningless. I mean, I've lived on the coast. I grew up on the coast. November, in particular, is is a month where we get a lot of rain. A lot of these what we used to call a pineapple express, uh, which essentially is a you know a mild tropical cyclone, high winds, lots of moisture, temperatures are up, and and they do they move from those southerly latitudes with the Japanese current, and this year. Because we're going into a grand solar minimum, the snowpack had fallen earlier, as early as beginning of September, and we had a big, you know, 120 millimeters of rain that fell on four or five feet of snow. And 
because of again because of the logging practices and the clear-cut logging the the discharge rate the hydrology has completely changed and uh, and then we have 1950s infrastructure in terms of flood control that the government hasn't spent any money on because they're too busy uh, chasing red herrings um, and wasting money in other ways and uh, that that's the situation that you arrive at so um, you know we're we're in a tenuous situation in Canada uh, even if this problem is resolved. Uh, you know, there's a, uh, Dr. Reiner Fulmish Nuremberg trial, uh, you know, successful in proving something and, and all these people go to jail. Well, what do we do? How do we restart this? Um, you know, my, my colleague, I've chatted with a couple of times on, on the show, uh, Alan McRae, a petroleum engineer out of Calgary. You know, he, he, his mantra is that we're becoming um, Venezuela North. And, you know, at this rate, we certainly are. And, it, and, and in Venezuela, nobody's going to freeze to death over winter. You know, they might, they might, they may become hungry. Uh, but in this country, if we don't have ample supplies of, of uh, cheap and abundant energy over this next period of time, you know, which will probably, we'll move out of this solar cycle in about 2050. Uh, if we don't have natural gas and coal, um, in abundant supplies to power and heat our homes, uh, you know, never mind a little bit of increase in temperature, but, you know, people will freeze to death in their homes and um, nobody seems to be paying attention to this. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of this virtue signaling orgy going on in Ottawa right now. Um, and, you know, everyone out competing one another to see how virtuous they can be uh, at the expense of the general population. Very true. Very true. Perhaps we can build a complete economy around uh, vehicles that drive on the incineration of um, uh, PPE. And, uh, you know, if not, you can start something like that up. Now, if this COVID-19 situation was resolved tomorrow, if we just did away with it tomorrow, do you think Canadians be able to simply settle back to 2019 conditions and move forward? Well, we, we know, kind of touched on that. I don't think so. Um you know, again, for this, this reason of this mass hypnosis that's occurred. Um, and, and we did see a, a bit of that in July. And I'm not sure if it was a real event or if CBC was, was uh, you know, had hired some actors. But in, in I think it was in either Edmonton or, or, or Calgary, uh, when the mask mandate came off, there was actually a series of concerned citizens that were protesting that this was too early, it was dangerous, and they wanted to keep their masks on and, and be safe. So, you know, was that a, a stunt? I don't know. Uh, but at this point, um, you know, given the fear and panic that's been instilled into the population, um, it's going to take some time to unravel this. And, uh, and then again, as we were talking about um, the fiscal situation, you know, how does that get resolved? Uh, you know, if this goes away tomorrow, um, this debt based on the present uh, economic output of this country uh, and the belief of 60% of Canadians that the government should take care of them and they should be able to sit at home uh, and collect some form of UBI or, or whatever it is, um, this is going to be a difficult place. And um, I think we're going to witness a brain drain and a wealth drain from this country. Uh, because unless you are, unless you're an extreme patriot, um, and, and really, really believe in Canada, um, which, you know, again, I think is, is functionally broken. I think it's time to split this country up into an Eastern and a Western component. 
um, you know, based on ideology and geography and economic potential uh, to move forward. Um, you know, and certainly there's a move in Alberta um, to do that. Uh, you know, I think it's because I think they're calling it Wexit. And um, there's I've seen some tabulation that's somewhere in the neighborhood of slightly over a million dollars per person in Alberta has been siphoned off, uh, you know, probably largely to uh, um, the East Coast um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the cyclical employment folks uh, out that way. Um, and so that's, you know, at some point, why are you working in this country to pay down this massive deficit that a bunch of idiots uh, rang up, uh, you know, or alternatively, um, you know, which isn't sort of a, uh, a resolution, but, you know, perhaps the reason uh, that the modern monetary theory proponents in Ottawa continue to rack up the debt is to bankrupt the country uh, to facilitate the Great Reset. So, you know, the, 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 the prognosis of this nation moving forward, I think, is tenuous. And uh, for me personally, um, you know, I, I, I choose not to participate in the present form. Um, I think the, the, the concept of Canada um, is now a worthless one. Um, and again, you know, demonstrated by the recent electoral results. Uh, you know, the, the, and, and you're kind of in the wrong part of the world there, Vincent. I mean, it's pretty clear that from Manitoba East, uh, we have a communistic mindset and from Saskatchewan West, uh, we have a free, at least a free enterprise, um, group of people that believe in working hard and that, uh, you know, by the sweat of your brow, will you determine your success or failure? Yeah, I don't think it's just, uh, I don't think there's a, a definitive line there. I think there's some some truth to what you're saying, but I also know that town to town and city to city, the the, uh, the population composition and geographic composition vary somewhat where you do have uh, conservative enclaves and you have liberal enclaves, obviously more uh, in the, the, the area surrounding the big city of Toronto. But uh, it, it's not exactly that cut and dry. I mean, I'm, I'm an example of somebody living in Ontario who's definitely on the Western side of things. So uh, now, you know, even if we get through this, my, my, my mindset, my belief is that we're just gonna go from one crisis, one fabricated crisis to another fabricated crisis. I think once we slide out of this, the, the pressure will be on on the global climate chair, uh, cl climate change scare, um, catastrophic doom and gloom. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the, that goes without, without question. Um, as, as this thing has progressed, um, perhaps initially I thought it was a bit more, a bit more of an organized movement um, by the lights of the World Economic Forum and, and that type of thing. But I think this has actually been led by the pharma cartels. Um, and my, my clue to that, an insight that I sort of gleaned uh, last week, a lot of, the, a lot of the, the people that were warning us about these mRNA injections uh, had a pretty doom and gloom scenario about how quickly people were going to be dropping off from these. And, and I'm not downplaying the danger of these in any ways. I mean, certainly we've seen, um, you know, serious adverse reactions, deaths, et cetera, uh, which are, you know, going completely ignored by um, mainstream. Um, but why would they sell you two injections when they could sell you eight? Um, and I think, you know, that's just good business. I mean, it's, it's, it's morally... Uh, bankrupt. But if I can have you take eight injections before you're going to drop off, 
then I'm going to do that rather than selling you just two. So I think this is this is a longer term process. And as the population acquiesced worldwide to these measures and just sort of moved lockstep into, into the fear modality, I think that's when these organizations jumped on board and really began to push their agenda, uh, you know, of the Great Reset. Uh, this And they've, they've been waiting. I mean, even in 2007 with the financial collapse, they all lamented. I mean, they, they, there's written quotes and, and uh, excerpts of, of speeches where they admonish themselves for not seizing that opportunity then. And so they're certainly seizing it now. And the, the climate alarmist narrative has been underway for some time. And one has to wonder why 2030 was selected as the date for this great reset and, the, and this hurry up alarmist, the, you know, the globe will be on fire by then if we don't do something. Well, as, the, as, this, as this grand solar minimum manifests and the temperatures decline, uh, and in my last conversation with Tammy Nemeth, we kind of looked at a few statistics where um, I believe Sweden, um, Siberia, St. Petersburg, and Alaska have all recently, in, in the beginning of December, have all recently recorded record lows. Um, we're also seeing volcanic activity increase, uh, which would be a direct result of increased cosmic rays penetrating the crust and, and warming up the magma and getting it, uh, getting it moving. And so... Um, if, so that has nothing to do with uh, my eating beef. No, of course not. Of course not. And, and it's it's funny because in the in the green, the EU Green Deal, where they're talking about moving to more organic agriculture, uh, which is a good move, um, but they're also talking about eliminating dairy and beef herds. And so, you know, you really can't have regenerative agriculture without livestock. It just doesn't work. And so, you know, why would you want people not to eat meat? Uh, well, especially, you know, young males, if you're consuming a diet of, of soy and, and, you know, other uh, garbage vegan foods, well, you're simply not going to have the testosterone levels that you should. And um, one of my colleagues here who's been sort of following this trend um, in the 1950s, a so a, a early 20s male today has the same testosterone levels as a 19 as, as a 50 year old in the 1950s, and uh, so that, you know that's an alarming trend. And there's definitely been a a cultural battle against you know strong masculinity, which they're you know, they've labeled as toxic masculinity. Um, and so you know there, there's there's a, a number of different. Uh, uh, problems going on here, none of which are for the betterment of society. All these are trying to pull apart the fabric uh, of, of what has built Western nations. And, you know, and back just back to the climate alarmism um, and, you know, your comment about beef, if we're, if we're to be honest about what the hazards of humanity to the planet are, our number one, um, our number one hazard is our agricultural practices. Um, and if anyone is, you know, if there's any alarm that we should be concerned about, uh, it is 100% about the, the degradation of our topsoil. And, uh, you know, the, like the American uh, Soil Association has proclaimed there's 60 to 80 harvests or, or growing seasons left, and then the topsoil is gone. Um, you know, CO2 is plant food. You know, we are in a long-term CO2 deficit when compared to the last you know, 30 million years on this planet, um, every single time there was a warming trend on earth, 
the historians have labeled those as climate optima, which includes the, the Roman warming period, the medieval warming period. Um, our most recent example of a cooling trend, which was significant, was the Maunder Minimum, um, which at the end of that, we had the, uh, the Black Plague, which wiped out 30% of Europe. Um, and, and possibly other parts of the world, we, we don't have the data specifically. Uh, and, you know, why did that happen? Well, because as the climate cooled and crops failed and people became less nutritionally supported, um, you know, your, your immune system declined, people's health declined, and that resulted in, in you know, probably one of the greatest epidemics that the, the planet has ever seen. So, you know, I guess it's a, a, a choose your poison um and and of course the 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 fallacy that these you know electric cars and and solar and all the rest of it is going to somehow power us moving forward um are utter lies there there's the the manufacturing process of batteries and solar panels is equally or more uh equally or more um uh, degrading to the environment than the fossil fuel production is um and if we're looking at non-distributed power, uh, so you know people with solar panels on their roofs for their own consumption, I think that makes sense, and that's a good backup strategy, and it, and it reduces the need for more um, uh, large-scale infrastructure projects, which of course doesn't go into our present uh, modality of energy, uh, but to as as part of the U.S. Uh, build back better and green. Uh, Green New Deal, you know, they're talking about converting 30% of farmland and giving subsidies to farmers to plant solar panels on their farms. Well, that's madness. And, you know, as we've seen in Australia, which, you know, somehow got onto this woke bandwagon um, far ahead of North America, uh, Joanne Nova uh, has done some great work in analyzing what's happened to their energy grid. And because these uh, windmills are... The, the bigger ones are three to five megawatts, but a lot of them are still a singular megawatt. Um, having all those different sources of power wreaks havoc on the sinusoidal wave of the energy. And they actually have to wind up burning background, uh, in, in many cases down there, it's diesel or coal, um, to rectify that hertz frequency to maintain it so it doesn't blow at equipment. And, and they also have to run backup um, capacity in case the wind stops, which it regularly does. And, you know, they've, they've had rolling blackouts, brownouts, they've had, uh, you know, open heart surgeries on, uh, on an operating theater where the lights go out in the hospital and don't come on for five minutes. So, um, you know, the, the, it's all crazy. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know if this is a, just a foolhardy exercise towards doing something that people, uh, believe in unquestioningly, or if it's something, you know, greater, uh, more orchestrated, which is, uh, you know, uh, a fundamental change in the power structure of the energy industry, uh, moving away from the fossil fuel players to, uh, to China and its manufacturing capacity of these various components. Um, and, you know, interestingly, uh, the Netherlands conducted a survey uh, several years ago, uh, evaluating what level of um, raw materials they would need to supply their country 100% renewable. And uh, they're, I believe they're a, a country of about 17 or so million. 
And um, they, the answer which came back was there's not enough raw materials on the face of the planet to power the Netherlands alone. So, you know, how are we going to power Canada? How are we going to power America? It's, it's, it's nonsense. It can't happen. Yeah, Michael, I, I've noticed the people that you've been interviewing on your show over the last year. Uh, these are really world authorities on all the different subject matters, and it's very, very impressive. So in your opinion, what, where has the Canadian response gone wrong, and what do you think we can do to rectify it moving forward? Well, I mean, on the, on the COVID response, um, you know, Canada has obviously been a laggard, I think a world laggard, and we, and we should be ashamed of that. Um, you know, we have no early treatments. Um, ivermectin and HCQ have been vilified. Um, and we, we've had several reports now out of the hospitals where patients' families have been smuggling ivermectin into the wards. Uh, the patient is taking it, immediately recovers. The doctors are shocked um, as to why the patient's recovering. Search the room, find the ivermectin, throw it out patient immediately declines. And, uh, you know, this is criminal. Now, if I'm the doctor and myself and my three colleagues are triple and quadruple billing for the same patient, uh, I don't want that product in my hospital. Uh, if I was a real physician, um, I would, I would demand that that was available. And I don't understand the vacuum that these so-called medical professionals are operating in because the data is now overwhelmingly abundant that these products are safe they're effective and when we look at you know that the the minuscule sample size is what's as what's happened in india you can't argue the case and any medical professional that says something to the contrary in canada is simply a murderer you are you are you are a murderer and you're benefiting from the suffering of others and if you are simply parroting what the corrupt health officials are saying you're not a scientist you're a clown you know if 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 you label yourself as a medical professional that has a, a degree based in science and you don't want to read what you know the, like a world authority like peter mccullough has to say um then you're a clown there, there's nothing else to call you um and you should be stripped of your um your accreditation and uh, you should be scrubbing toilets in the in the in the hospital or prison uh, for the remainder of your life on some form of UBI um, driving a Prius. I mean, it's 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 I, and I don't I've heard these stories um, from the nursing community um, and, and, and part of the Ezra movement. And um, it's it's very, very um, shocking to hear. And I think, in fact, you know, the, the physicians across this country, uh, except for those who have stepped up, uh, and we, we know some of those brave individuals and, and um, you know, why their counterparts are not doing so um, is shameful. And, uh, you know, I understand that these people have mortgages and children to feed and alimony payments and child support payments and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, really collectively, if you're a group of scientists medical professionals, and you all ignore the real science, which is abundant and worldwide, um, and you are in fear of your, your college, you should be ashamed of yourself, plain and simple. There's, there's nothing else to say there. And, and hopefully, um, at some point in the not too distant future, uh, these people are all held accountable for their crimes. 
uh, and punished and, uh, you know, sent off uh, with the toilet scrub brush in hand to, to conduct the rest of their career. Well, that says a lot about the entire medical profession as a whole. But when it comes to freedoms and liberties, you know, my, my greatest concern has been the vaccine passports. What are your thoughts on the vaccine passports? Well, the, the obviously, um, you know, and, and we had a, a discussion there about this early on uh, as sort of a fear that this is a social credit based system. And, um, you know, I, I don't think anyone can deny that it's not. Um, you know, this is 100% moving towards a very, very draconian um, implementation of a segregated society based on your ability to participate, uh, being judged by uh, essentially, you know, some sort of department within the government that decides, you know, how many medical procedures you've received, uh, or, you know, are you a, a good little sycophant? And uh, have you, you know, I would even imagine at some point, if you're, if you haven't voted for the power, party in power, your social credit score will go down. Um, you know, will you're, you'll be limited in, in terms of how you can engage with society. And I think the, the means in which people have acquiesced to this, uh, and, you know, some of the reasonings that I've heard, you know, like, oh, I just want to go uh, with my friends uh, for a beer, uh, that's not acceptable. And, um, you know, to, to that point, there's this bizarre dichotomy that we're seeing between Canada and the United States. And, you know, there's this imaginary line, which I guess isn't too far from your house, uh, just south of you. And when you cross that line, suddenly there's a much greater degree of freedom. And I remember in, in July, there was the, uh, the big Canelo fight in, uh, in Houston, where there was like 17 and a half thousand people in the, in the arena, none of them wearing masks. And, um, you know, what happened? Well, nothing. There was no, it wasn't a super spreader event. People didn't die from after that. And I'm not sure how people, you know, particularly, let's say sports fans can watch an NHL game taking place in America where there's, you know, 15 or 18,000 people in arena cheering, no masks, no social distancing. They're having a great old time. And, um, you know, I, I believe that in Ontario, they've said that uh, like the, the Leafs games are now at 50% capacity and everyone has to wear a mask and that's going to be strictly enforced. And, um, you know, so I don't understand how you can see that on, you know, especially for the majority of people that uh, are plugged into television as their reality and, and source of information. When you see that going on somewhere else, why is that so much different than what's happening at home? And, and why doesn't the elevator go to the top and the light bulb go on and say that's not correct? Um, and so, you know, say, oh, Michael, you keep forgetting that the goalpost keeps shifting. Well, they do uh, here because it's it's an arbitrary goalpost. Um, it, you know, it is. And, and again, in, in, in America, you know, other than the, the federal administration is obviously a, a joke. Um, but we have real leadership there. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the gentlemen who make the news the most, uh, Abbott and DeSantis, um, you know, and there's many other governors that are a little quieter and they have less population in their states. Uh, so, so they're not heard as loudly. Um, but, you know, if we look at DeSantis, I mean, here is a, a decorated Navy SEAL. Um, he could do anything with his with his life at this point, uh, including sit back on the beach and, and uh, relax. But he's chose to continue to serve his fellow man. 
and uh, he's doing a fantastic job. You know, he is he is um, uh, living up to the founding fathers' um, aspirations of what the that great nation can be. And um, you know, I fear that in Canada, because we didn't have that sort of founding moment of the nation. I mean, it just kind of you know it was a bunch of bunch of people fleeing oppression from somewhere else, and they found a good spot, and they just kind of all harmonized and and moved forward. That um, you know, this country probably is going to have its moment, um, that that defining moment sometime in the future. Um, and you know, how, what will that look like? You know, civil war or or uprising against the government, and and um, you know, if, uh, we look at the Soviet Union. Well, that lasted for seventy years with with Russians who are being oppressed. So, you know, how long will it take for? apathetic and spineless Canadians to stand up to the tyranny, don't know. Um, but I, I believe that part of that difference between the two nations is is the Founding Fathers' statements and their real understanding, um, almost at like a generation, generational level of what freedom means. Uh, in, in Canada, we've taken that for granted. And, um, you know, the the as Remembrance Day sort of just came and went, um, you know, all these people that are wearing a mask and acquiescing with this and accepting the vaccine passport uh, are, are literally pissing on the graves of those fallen soldiers. And um, I, I did hear one older gentleman, uh, you know, who was basically shaking his head and saying, you know, I can't believe, you know, if, if my, if my, fellow soldiers that are you know died in the field or, or died long ago from an injury could see what you know that we you know we laid down our lives for this uh you know just shaking his head and, and that's um that's something that doesn't escape me and um you know it, it really paints a poor picture of this younger generation where you know 70 years ago we had brave boys um, going into combat for an ideal that they probably really didn't understand, but they were motivated by um, something greater than themselves. Uh, and it seems like that motivation or that connection uh, is simply lacking today. Yeah, certainly. You know, you know, Mike, Canadians and myself included and freedom fighters in this push um, always want to be moving forward. And we want to know, and we're always strategizing how to successfully navigate what's coming. So if you had a chance to give a message to Canadians moving forward who value their freedom and liberty, what would it be? What would your message be moving forward? Well, you know, you, you and I have chatted about this and, and it's it's um, got me into some hot water locally here with some of the groups that I'm involved with. And uh, my message at this point uh, it's very clear. If you have the ability to get out of here and um, find another jurisdiction where your mentality and your position is not a fringe minority, but is is at least balanced, you know, get out because this is not this is this situation is going to come to a conclusion which we don't want to see. Um, but, you know, the powers to be are, as we discussed, you know, spending billions of dollars to ensure that this is going to continue. I mean, if, if you know, the, the freedom movement, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you have an, any idea in terms of what, what a dollar number is that we've raised 
in terms of you know legal legal battles or or whatever it is but we are fighting at least 30 billion dollars over the next 6 years to continue this enslavement i don't see anybody in this in this freedom movement saying okay we can match that and we have an orchestrated campaign with mainstream you know the the uh, an equivalent of a mainstream media channel or a or a full press uh, social media platform to push back against the official narrative. It's not there. So at some point, you know, you have to decide whether you wish to be a martyr and lay your life down and perhaps spend the, the balance of your life um, it, as a fringe minority, potentially interned um, for 99% of the rest of the population that doesn't understand your position, doesn't care about your position, thinks you're a lunatic, a dangerous person. Uh, you know, we have the, the dishonorable Bonnie Henry here declaring that uh, she legally believes that the unvaccinated are a health hazard. Um, you know, those are very, very strong words. And given the fact that the Canadian legal system um, is essentially in absentia to their duties, um, you know, there, there's been a number of, of challenges brought forth at the federal level uh, by our colleague Rocco Galati. Uh, those have simply been ignored. Um, so all these people who are like, who are saying we have, we have a couple local lawyers here as well, who are saying, oh, you know, we'll get our day in court two, three years down the road. And I just, I look at them with disbelief and it's like, in two or three years, in two or three years, you open your mouth with a dissenting opinion and you're gone. There isn't, if, the, if, if we're 20 months into this thing and the courts haven't heard a single case um, and, and had any level of, 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 of uh, reasonable ruling uh, to uphold the constitution of this country, in, in two, three years, that constitution will no longer exist. And in the same way that in BC, the, the legislature, uh, I think about three weeks ago now, um, created new laws which stated that if you are dismissed from your employment situation because of your refusal to get vaccinated, that is now just cause for dismissal. That's probably not a constitutional law. It could be fought, but somebody has to hear it. So first of all, there has to be money raised to, to launch that challenge. And then you need to get it in front of a judge that isn't corrupt uh, and isn't being told what to do by the political class to perhaps even to, to even have a chance to overturn that. And so, um, you know, where does that leave us? You know, if, if you are a dissenter in this country, before too long, you will be rounded up and put in a camp, just like what they're doing in Australia. And, you know, six months ago or a year ago, when the tinfoil hat fringe lunatics were warning about such activities, um, maybe it was uh a little early to make those statements but today based on what we've seen internationally and uh you know the, the in austria in particular which that's my heritage and i'm now ashamed of that uh, f uh, because of what they're doing there i mean they're talking about um those unvaccinated people who continue to disobey leaving their houses and trying to engage in society will be imprisoned and they will pay for their own imprisonment. I mean, it's, 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 it's madness. And so, um, you know, here in Canada, is there any bastion of light which says that the madness is going to end? Well, we know there's 30 bill, at least 30 billions dollars 
will be spent over the next six years to ensure that this madness continues. So, you know, do you enjoy bashing your head against a wall? You know, how, how much bruising and how much blood you need pouring off your forehead before you say, this is a waste of time. I should pivot and move to something else. Yeah, that's a lot of distasteful information, but unfortunately it's all factually true and it's very hard to digest, but it's true. Absolutely. Now you had mentioned to me that you received some very strong guidance from the creator recently. You want to share that information with us? Sure. I mean, it, it's a very, very simple statement, um, which is that any energy which we or you or I are expending presently, which isn't directed towards the creation of the new and the development of the new paradigm for humanity is an utter waste of our life energy. And that is any form of resistance, any form of fighting, um, you know, however you want to describe that against the present paradigm. The moment that we engage in that resistance and fighting and, oh, you know, let's, let's, you know, raise a militia and we'll get these guys and, you know, whatever it is, you are now captured by the narrative because they have your energy within that narrative. So, and it, and it, once I had this, 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 this information, it took me a few days to really allow it to permeate my being and understand what it meant. And, and it is a very powerful, once you, once you understand at, at that deep physiological level, that heartfelt level, what this means, it's actually very liberating because we are trying to escape this narrative. And the only way that we're going to do that is to create a new narrative, which is the development of a new, uh, you know, new modality and a new expression of humanity. One which has probably been uh, suppressed ever since the, the patriarchal uh, movement of the Roman Empire uh, swept across Europe and displaced those, those early civilizations or those early groups. And so we're still living in that aftermath of the, the, the Roman Catholic uh, patriarchal Roman world um, and, and all of its shortcomings. And so, um, again, people need to understand that there is no, there is no resistance to this narrative, which will work. It, it, you know, you, you can, you can hope and wish and pray all you want, but you have to, we have to remember that first of all, there is a massive amount of capital and minds and people that you're, that you're battling against. And we don't have, certainly in this country, we don't have the numbers, you know, and, and uh, until I see, you know, like in Vancouver, for instance, the world freedom rally there a couple of weeks ago, there was maybe 2,500 people, you know, out of a city of close to 2 million. Well, that's a joke. You know, if there was a hundred thousand people there, 200,000 people out there, then I would have some semblance of, of, of hope there, but we don't. And so I'm beginning to become angered, actually, by these delusional optimists that think that they're going to, you know, petition their way out, uh, try to educate people and all the rest of this guff. The, the reality now, this is a matter of survival. And the longer that people remain here, the greater the likelihood it is that they will be captured and interned as a political dissident. And we've seen this happen in every single totalitarian uh, regime that's ever existed. If you're a political dissident, you will not be allowed to speak your mind. You will simply be thrown in jail 
and you know it's not going to be the country club jail you know it will be a it will be a rough go and and nobody cares about you and so um as 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 part of this you know what i've what i've pivoted away from the resistance and the and the battling into what i've kind of described as you know project exodus and uh, and filling the ark and there's enough really good people you know yourself included that are that are talented like-minded ambitious um faith-based these are the people that we want to surround ourselves with and we need to form new communities and and work towards um building this new humanity and i'm not 100 percent sure we you know where this arc is going to wind up uh, but i know it's not here and um you know the, the the comment has been made to me that oh, you know this is a global problem this is coming everywhere sure when you know when the the proverbial shit hits the fan and there is that potentially crisis event um which you know january the 15th uh, all truckers entering canada uh, are mandated now to be vaccinated. So what is that going to do to the supply chain? Uh, you know, we, we witnessed here on the West Coast w- when the floods went out, um, you know, the store, sh- the grocery store shelves were bare for about a week as the, as the logistics uh, dealing with the damaged infrastructure were sorted out. So what happens when there's a real problem here and it's not a week or so when those shelves are bare, but maybe a month or two? Many people aren't prepared Um Many people aren't going to be able to cope with a situation like that. And, um, you know, living in a, in a northern climate where you have winter and the, and the complexities of surviving through winter uh, and the you know, food preparation. And then if we also superimpose the grand solar minimum problem over that with potentially shorter growing seasons and failing crops, I choose to be somewhere where at least I can feed myself year round. And if this truly is a global problem and uh, the proverbial shit's going to hit the fan everywhere, well, then I choose to be somewhere where there's, you know, a, a slimmer population where together with my community members, we can ensure our survival. And, uh, you know, perhaps if there's going to be a transitionary period between this old paradigm uh, as the as the powers to be try to implement this new draconian society, um, you know, it will be successful in some places and it won't be successful in others, but there will be a transition from where what we're at now to what we'll be. And during that time span, which could mark the, you know, the balance of our lifetimes, um, you know, I, I choose to have a simple life where, you know, I'm eating quality food and as much quality food as I want uh, versus standing in a bread line up freezing and uh, begging for some meager offerings from the government. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a very hard pill to swallow, but um, it's very factual and it's very true. Living in a northern climate where you foresee, um, as has been stated repeatedly, that we are looking to go to a carbon-based economy with uh, severe limitations on energy usage and a price to pay for that. The instability in the markets uh, certainly interest rates uh, being what they are, we're going to inflation or potential hyperinflation. Uh, Living in a climate that is much more temperate and uh, is abundant in food is certainly sounds great. And I I like the idea, there's no question that wherever you are, even if you stay in Canada, 
surrounding yourself by a like-minded tribe or individuals that are like-minded in your ideology uh, for survival basis is obviously a very, very beneficial thing. Yeah, I mean, even even just on the mental health basis alone, um, and you know, when these delusional optimists continue to tell me, "Oh, you know, we're making progress," and and you know, so many people are coming to our side. And I just shake my head and I say, oh, is that a fact? Because the last time I was at the grocery store, it was myself and maybe one other person without a mask on. And until I go to a grocery store and see five or 10% of people not wearing their masks, I have no interest in being here. And being here will become increasingly dangerous to those of us who defy the official narrative. And, you know, and we're not, you know, as the, as the, um, anti-vaxxing chanting chorus would like people to believe, you know, we're, we're not, it's not anti-anything. I am pro-choice. I'm not anti-choice. And based on my own knowledge and my uh, hours, you know, probably 20, 30,000 hours dedicated to researching this and thousands of hours of conversations with the world leading experts on and off air, I have a pretty good idea of what's going on here. And so, you know, forgive me, Joe Public, if I don't believe your nonsense about that mask is protecting you and that shot is protecting you because it's garbage. And if, if you're too dim to see what's really going on here, that's not my fault. And I'm sorry, uh, I'm going to protect myself and those that I care about um, and wish to move forward with before I choose you. It's simple. And so, uh, you know, and, and again, credit to those who wish to be martyrs and, and wish to stick it out and, you know, believe they're on a mission from God that they're going to save people and on and on and on. Um, you know, I, I choose not to be nailed to the cross. You know, Jesus made that decision. He probably could have done something different. And who knows how history would have turned out if he had. Um, so, you know, we are, we are, we are, we are, we have free will. We have free choice. And so at this point, my choice is, is to lead a group of like-minded individuals to a place of safety where even if this blows over in five to 10 years and, um, you know, potentially, uh, you know, 2024, there's a strong Republican administration, which is, uh, put into office in, uh, America and in 25, they face the, the, the grim decision uh, of what to do with the reality of a communist state to their unguarded northern flank. I mean, I think the, the obvious response is to roll tanks. I mean, you, you can't have a, a totalitarian regime uh, espousing communist beliefs uh, to your north. That's not going to happen. So, you know, that's, and, and again, the, 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 the average dim Canadian who believes in this narrative will resist that move and they will be encouraged by their totalitarian government. And so when all that comes to pass five to 10 years later, maybe we come back if you enjoy living here versus wherever we've gone. Uh, this isn't a necessarily a one-way trip, but it is a trip which needs to occur sooner than later to ensure the safety of these, uh, these individuals. Yeah, as I said, Michael, it's a very hard pill to swallow when you first hear the idea and the concept, especially when you're patriotic to the country. But the reality of the situation, as you've stated, is if you do not have the support of the majority, uh, not even a 
uh, what I would even consider a minority. You know, when you're in a very, very low percentile of people, the majority of people are complacent and compliant to the nonsense that is going on. It, it seems very futile that you're going to make a dent in the system. You fight and you do bang your head against the table. And as was told to me many, many years ago by uh, my own uh, police sergeant that I work for, uh, when you stop banging your head against the table, the pain away. <laughs> well, that's it. And so at some point, and you know, we have, we have a lot of talented people uh, in this freedom movement and, um, and I care about all of them. And uh, when I, when I see this delusional optimism, it worries me because some of these people I would like on the arc uh, to contribute to the, to the new, the new society and the, and the new paradigm. And they're not going to get the chance to do it here. And, and that, uh, that disappoints me. And so it, it's, uh, and it is, I mean, for many people, uh, you know, it's a major upheaval of their lives, but you know, you, you choose, I think we need to choose to be proactive um, to, and decide how our lives will be altered versus being reactive or, or simply be interned and have no ability to do anything. My, my one last question for you regarding the arc theory um, is, you know, wherever that country may be, whether you choose to discuss it now or hold that information to yourself for a bit, but where, wherever that location is, um, the idea that when Western nations should fall under the direction they're heading currently, um, you, you now would consider yourself essentially surrounded by like-minded nations that have all fallen uh, and whatever result that would be. So you would have to end up being a very, very independent entity and not really expect to uh, be able to interact with others, other countries, because I can imagine uh, the whether you look at Venezuela as an example, the amount of sanctions that would uh, come your way within that country, if you think you're gonna be a free uh, nation, not having to follow these uh, ridiculous uh, directions or directives that we're seeing. Yeah, and, and obviously that's, that becomes an issue. Um, and then it, it becomes a question of, you know, will, will countries, form blocks of resistance. Um, you know, w w there are some leaders um, out there that, that have made statements that they will not acquiesce. Uh, you know, Texas and 17 states have signed a succession document saying that if, uh, you know, the, the federal policies continue in the direction they are, that they're going to secede from the union. Um, uh, we have Bolsonaro in Brazil you know, it's basically, you know, literally said, fuck you to the, to the, to the globalists. Um, and so how does, you know, when, when does it become more prosperous for a country to make the decision to resist and join with their fellow neighboring nation to reject this? Um, I don't know. That, that is a question to, to, to ponder. Um, and, you know, again, I guess if you have, if, if within your communities you have most of what you need, uh, you know, maybe at some point you're uh, uh, creating biodiesel to power your vehicles because you may not have access to mainstream fuel. I mean, there's, it's, I'm not sure, what, you know, the, the, how far down this, uh, this track things will go. Um, but, you know, one thing is for sure, the, the option of owning nothing and being happy and being a vassal of the state uh, is not in my future.
Absolutely. Well, that's a great concept. That's a great concept. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I, I think I think we all need to think very deeply about that. As I said, it's a hard pill to swallow, but um, you really do drum up uh, a very convincing argument based on all of that information. Yeah. And certainly what I've seen with the the Ezra movement in terms of who has gravitated towards that. I mean, it, it is literally the cream of the crop from healthcare, both from the nursing profession, naturopaths, uh, even some mainstream uh, medical practitioners, medical doctors, and so forth that have that have crossed over. Uh, and I think that this uh, Project Exodus will become an international movement um, in the same way that Ezra. I mean, Ezra has now been contacted from people from all over the world. And um, the strength that we have there is that as as that beacon of light begins to shine and people of means begin to be attracted to that, um, we will we will become a, a power to be reckoned with, and uh, you know the the truth and light will always prevail, and so this collective group of people that are looking to forge the new humanity, uh, I believe that that will uh, uh, begin to attract critical mass, and that's the only way that we're going to push back against this narrative. Um, in this country anyway, I mean, in, in America, you know, I think things are much more on the 50-50 basis in terms of where people stand. Um, and of course, being one of the well, one of the most well-armed nations in the world, that's going to be very difficult for the UN to subdue. Um, and so this is obviously, this project is in its, in its infancy, but I think as it, as it be, takes hold, we will begin to see um, you know, the, the most qualified, uh, people on the planet begin to gravitate towards this. Uh, and that will be, uh, the new expression of humanity moving forward. Well, it seems like globalization has, uh, expanded significantly since its inception in the early eighties. I think maybe its inception was the late 1800s, but since it's actually taken off in the early, uh, 18, uh, 1980s, um, and, and it works well. Uh, as a system of interdependence when the ideologies align. But if our way of thinking does not align, interdependence becomes very uh, destructive. And so I, I can tell that the freedom fighters in our group and across the uh, Western nations are seriously looking at complete independence, you know, right down to the core of your own family unit. If you can grow your own food, produce your own energy and be completely independent, then you truly have freedom. But when you are dependent on other people for your survival, for your food, for your supply of energy, and do what the government tells you to do, even if it means a complete decimation of your rights, then you are no longer free. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, again, with the modern technology that we have, um, you know, amongst this community, well, we need a, we need a high end CNC machine. We can produce every single mechanical part that we can conceive of provided that we have the correct, uh, metallurgy, um, you know, obviously feeding yourself in a more temperate area, uh, is a fairly straightforward process. Um, and this would also involve, you know, wherever we wind up, um, 
ingratiating ourselves to the to the local population where you know schools and houses are built and uh, you know this is almost the the, the creation of a city-state um with, with with the underlying um rationale is this development of of the new humanity and um you know, well yeah that's right and 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 there's a tremendous amount of solar energy down in the southern temperate climates where of course utilizing solar systems and power wall systems to capture that energy uh you've now become self-sufficient in that's right. energy as well that's right and, and and i'm not you know my my plan isn't you know isn't a sort of kumbaya uh barefoot hippies you know eating vegan sandwiches kind of thing i mean i think we have the opportunity here particularly as this grows um to you know, form a, a a cooperative where products from these products from the land base, uh, you know, med medical and nutraceutical products um, can be can be developed, distributed, uh, foodstuffs. Uh, there, there is when people collectively work together, uh, we will be successful. Especially if we have these these brilliant minds that are all. Uh, harnessed into one direction, and I think that's it's something certainly that we see amongst the the East in, in East Indian community here in British Columbia. Um, you know, they uh, probably started coming on uh, mass in, in the eighties, and uh, you know they they began to buy up uh, farms. You know, there was we used to, we, as teenagers we used to laugh. It was like ten of them to a house. Well, you know, they're laughing at us now because they each one of them now owns 10 houses and 10 farms and they, they work together. There was that collective mentality where they, you know, work together as family units and, and several families working together. And somehow, you know, Canadians have, have moved away from that or the Western world has, has become more isolationist and, and independent and, and stop that collective um, sort of working mentality. And um, I think, you know, what, when we bring that back, in, in a in a clear direction uh, that we can, that we will be very successful. Absolutely, absolutely, and that is the fundamental key, in my opinion, for survival, is working together as a core, um, based on Christian values and principles and ethics and morals to do what is right and do it um, as a group. Your your chance of survival working with a like-minded group that is trustworthy, reliable, and respectful is your best chance. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and part of this as well, we want to establish uh, a bit of an underground railway, so to speak, um, because there, you know, we are likely to see a large number of orphans um, uh, moving forward here as, as vaccinated adults start to drop off and, you know, what number those are, we don't know. Uh, but we certainly want the ability to, um, to have those children raised uh, and not indoctrinated into this nonsense, but uh, brought into this new thinking and this new humanity. So that's something else we'll be looking into. And of course, um, if children have the opportunity to grow up on a on a land base and be connected to the to the land and and be educated in these values that you suggest versus being raised in a in a state institution. Uh, you know, we, we know how that worked out with uh, Ceausescu in Romania, and uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't pleasant. So I, I think there's there's uh, another another aspect to this as well. So we'll, we'll we'll see how it transpires. We'll see how it transpires. But again, I, I just uh, um, you know I respect everyone's beliefs that uh, this is we're going to win this here, but you know 
you're you're delusional if you think that's the case. Sorry, sorry, sorry to rain on your party, folks, but <clears throat> until you show me thirty billion dollars in your in your coffers, um, you're you're not going to be winning. That's another hard pill to swallow, there, Michael. But um, you you do make a very compelling case. I will say that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it's it's time for realism, right? I, I'm I'm one of the most optimistic people there are. You know, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, and and without without being having an optimistic um, mindset, you know, uh, you 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 never move forward because there's always setbacks as a as an entrepreneur. You know, you you get to the eleventh hour of a deal and it falls apart, and you know if you if you cry in your cornflakes over that, you'll never get the next one done. And so, um, you know. I'm optimistic, but I'm realist. I'm a realist and, and it's time to take your head out of the sand or out of your ass and, and plan accordingly. So do you think we're going to have an opportunity a year from now to do another podcast and uh, look back into the looking glass and say, here's, here's where we've come in the last 365 days. Well, I would, I would hope that we would be doing that uh, uh, across from one another on a table with the sun shining on our backs uh, with a couple of uh, tropical fruit drinks in hand and um, commenting on our progress uh, and the and the abundance and the happiness that we've created uh, through our project Exodus and uh, hear the laughter of children playing uh, in the distance. Well, I think the majority of Canadians would like to call you wrong and hope that you're wrong. And I personally hope that you're wrong. But regardless of what we think and what we hope, there's the reality of what's really going to happen. And, um, you know, we can be hopeful all we want, but there's the reality of the situation and how it's going to turn out. And uh, although none of us know what the future is going to bring by next year, there are certainly things to ponder in terms of direction that we need to take our life in and look at factual information, not feelings. Uh, really need to put feelings aside and start looking at the facts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there's 30 billion facts in front of us and, and a six year plan, um, to navigate. Um, and you know, if, if, if anyone thinks that miraculously at the end of six years, it all goes back to normal there, there, this, you know, the, there is no return to what we thought was normal. Um, we will be entering, you know, what is being called the new normal. There, there's no question. And, and again, you know, there's 30 billion reasons why that's going to happen. And, and God knows what this is going to look like in six years from now. I mean, it's, uh, uh, that is something that I, I won't waste any time contemplating um, because it's a, it's a waste of my bandwidth. But, um, you know, what, one could spend five minutes and, and, and think where that's going to go. Well, Michael, I thank you for this opportunity to allow me to host the host for once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. I, I have always found you to be a very highly intelligent person with a very diverse background and a knowledge plethora of information on these subjects. Excellent. Well, thank you, Vincent. And uh, maybe uh, we, we need to have the Vincent Gersey show coming out here as well. I, I'm probably going to be on the arc. There we go. Well, that's good. Then we'll be we'll be sitting across from another, uh, spreading words of wisdom and and uh, inspiring freedom amongst those that uh, uh, are still captured. Yes, time will tell. Very good. Well, sir, I, I thank you for for hosting the program today. You've been an excellent host, 
and uh, I guess we're we're getting close to the uh, the Christmas season here. So, uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours. Uh, all the best, and uh, we hope, wish, and pray that twenty twenty two brings us uh, some better tidings than uh, the last two years. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to you being on the ark, sir. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless Vincent. You have a great day and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much.